This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. With so many people sporting poppies, you can probably tell it's just a few days before Remembrance Day. Today, we'll be joined by General Richard Romer to hear about the importance of remembering and the hardships many veterans face when they return home from war. We'll also talk about a major milestone for CARP, the establishment of its 50th chapter. Ross Mayotte, VP of Community Development, will tell us what this means for Zoomer advocacy in Canada. And we'll hear a special AARP radio network feature about Belva Davis, the first African-American news reporter in the Western United States. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A growing number of Ontario Zoomers are being hit hard by the cost of caring for aging parents. A new study from Capital One Canada focuses on people with at least one dependent child who financially support at least one aging parent. Lori Campbell, executive director of the not-for-profit Credit Canada, says the problem is getting worse. Well, it's more pronounced in Ontario than anywhere else. And for many, the only option is to work more hours, cut back on spending and to borrow to make ends meet. The study also finds that almost half of this so-called sandwich generation worry they won't be able to afford their children's education because it costs so much to support their parents. Health issues continue to be a dominant concern among Canadian employers. That's according to the results of the 2011 Buffett National Wellness Survey. Polling nearly 700 Canadian employers, the survey found that 56% think work-related stress is the most important health risk facing employees, while mental health issues, high blood pressure and smoking all follow as the next concerns. However, only 34% say they're taking a strategic approach to wellness. Many employers say the key barriers to wellness programs are a lack of budget, a lack of staffing, and a lack of ability to quantify results. Britain's biggest public sector union has voted to back a national strike over pension reforms on November 30th. This, even though the government is offering several changes to avert the action. Unison, whose members include nurses, social workers, care assistants and police staff, said almost 250,000 of its members voted in favour of the walkout. It was the biggest ballot in union history. 1.1 million were sent out with a strong recommendation to back the strike. Unions oppose moves to raise the public sector retirement age up to six years to 66, increase employee contributions by up to 50%, and replace final salary pensions with those based on average career earnings. A research project at the University of Gutenberg in Sweden is enlisting older Zoomers to help in urban planning. The goal is to learn more about everyday challenges like getting home with a full load of groceries and using public transportation. Helene Brembeck, professor of ethnology at Gutenberg Center for Consumer Science, says this type of consumer logistics is a forgotten aspect of urban planning. 
She considers it a good starting point to improve life for older people. The project began in January of this year and is expected to be completed in the spring of 2013. Brembeck says she hopes that it will take us one step further in making it possible to create cities that are sustainable and work well for both the young and the old. Those were your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Hopefully, CARP activists have recovered from an intense schedule of activities last week. We had the Zoomer Life Conference focusing on health, wellness, and longevity, the CARP Annual General Meeting, and the Zoomer Show. Chapter chairs from across the country converged on Toronto, and the organization marked a special milestone. I'm here with Ross Mayotte, VP of Community Development. Tell us about what happened on Friday. Well, it, it was really our announcement that we've reached a milestone in terms of the growth of our chapter network across the country. But three years ago, we started out with 12 chapters, and I'm pleased to say that we announced that we've reached a milestone of 50 chapters right wow. across the country. So that growth, that kind of quadrupling of the number of chapters, was an important indication of the appeal that CARP is having right across the country and the willingness for people to get involved at their community level to support the advocacy of CARP and to get involved in the community activities that CARP is known for. Now, I remember I always found it a little confusing because you can be a member of CARP, just a member of CARP, and then the chapters seem to be this separate thing. So explain that a bit. Well, I call our chapters our clubhouses. It's really our way of creating an organizing principle so that if you're in Winnipeg, for example, and you're a CARP member and you're out there on your own, then you're like a free electron out there. But if there's a chapter that allows you to come together with other like-minded CARP members to get involved, to, to carry the ball on advocacy locally with your MLA or with your local politician or the federal politician, or to speak on behalf of CARP to the local media. These are important ways for us to connect right across the country and to have our, our chapter members be the focal point for both the media and local politicians in terms of what's CARP all about here. Now, in terms of the issues, you know, the big issues are caregiving, pension reform, pharmacare. Do you see a different way of handling them? I mean, we've just gone through a huge season of elections. Now there will be no elections for a while, and I guess that takes away a certain kind of leverage. So are, are we going to have to advocate in a different way? No, well, what we've done, and when, when our members got involved in these all-candidates debates and took notes as to what the candidates pledged while they were seeking office, we now follow up with them and say, here's what you pledged, and our members want you to keep that pledge. So I don't think it's a matter of starting all over. I think it's a matter of saying, here's what you promised. We're going to hold your feet to the fire to make sure that you fulfill those promises. Okay. Ross Mayotte, thank you so much. Thank you. One of CARP's newest chapters is in Montreal. It's number 37, to be exact, and it has spearheaded some interesting initiatives since starting up last July. I'm here with chapter chair Paul Reisman. I was very interested. You were talking about some of the services, free services, that you're providing to Zoomers who need them. Yeah, one of the initiatives that uh, we have taken is to approach uh, various accounting firms and law firms uh, in our area and asking them if they would uh, step up and volunteer their services for those uh, CARP members who either are 
not able to find the right kind of professional help that they need or who just can't afford it. And we have succeeded in getting a number of these people to, uh, to offer their services. What are the kinds of situations that people find themselves in? Oh, some very difficult situations. Recently, we got a call from an 84-year-old woman uh, living in a retirement home whose husband had died fairly recently, and she was getting uh, very official-looking letters from the Quebec government asking for all kinds of taxes and other things that she owed them, and she really had no idea what to do with that and how to even figure out what she did or, or did not owe. We got her in touch with a tax accountant who was able to help her settle her estate uh, pro bono. And uh, do you find that there's a big need for that in your community? Well, yes, because uh, when you think about it, uh, who are the advocates for seniors living in any community? Uh, we are happy to receive any calls from uh, from people in need in our area and and then turn around and find professionals to help. Okay. Paul Reisman, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll be joined by General Richard Romer, Canada's most decorated citizen, to hear about the importance of Remembrance Day. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row. That mark I place. And in the sky, the large silk babies singing fly. Scarce heard amid the guns below. Next Friday is Remembrance Day, the 93rd since the first Armistice Day was marked on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. None of the First World War veterans are still alive, and the soldiers who saw combat in World War II are dying at an alarming rate, 500 a week. What does that mean for remembering those watershed wars, and how do we see the military today? I'm here with General Richard Romer, who fought in Europe in 1943 and 44 and continued to serve until 1981. He's a member of the CARP Advisory Board and a lawyer in Collingwood. We are coming up on yet another Remembrance Day. Um, how do you feel about this year? What are the main issues for you this year? Uh, this year, the issues relate really to the return from Afghanistan. I think that getting our troops back here in numbers is a very important uh, aspect for Remembrance Day. Mind you, the reality is that we're leaving uh, about 1,000 people there uh, in very dangerous circumstances to assist the, the the people of Afghanistan. Do you think that because of our mission in Afghanistan, there's been a larger appreciation and awareness of the military over the last few years? I think there's been a dramatic increase, uh, particularly because when we bring people home in their coffins and they come into Trenton and they come into Toronto, uh, on the Highway of Heroes. It is an event which captivates uh, people who want to express sympathy, and certainly the reality of Afghanistan is translated to the reality of our own province and our own city. Afghanistan has been a transformation in terms of the uh, the visibility of our military, to say the least. And do you see that as a good thing? Oh, of course. We must maintain a a military presence uh, 
for our own defense, but also for our participation in the in important world events. Moving backwards, uh, Remembrance Day is to remember the First and the Second World Wars as well. Now, again, people of my generation, we remember it. My parents were Holocaust survivors, and the war was really present with us. But with young people today, it's fading. That's why we do our, our Remembrance Day ceremonies. I think that across this nation, uh, Remembrance Day ceremonies are going to be conducted I know that uh, I arrange and carry out for the Premier of Ontario his Remembrance Day ceremony at Queen's Park. We built a a splendid new memorial wall there. I had a hand in that as as the uh, co-person putting it together. But each year, since we opened it six years ago, uh, the number of people who attend at our location at Queen's Park on the front lawn has increased dramatically. And I think that the people and uh, organizations that are uh, there to to attempt to educate young people, kids in school and kids in university, about uh, the wars that have occurred that we've taken part in, has increased dramatically and uh, with a great deal of effectiveness. What and whom do you think of on Remembrance Day? I think of my comrades who... Uh, were on my squadron uh, during the time of the run-up to D-Day and the Battle of, of Normandy after that. I lost many of them, and I can see their faces very clearly in my mind's eye, and that's the one magic thing that the human uh, mind can do. I can see them. I can see the great number of them. And I think, too, uh, about what they could have done or would have done if they'd carried on living, but uh, they died in in the process of the of the battle. It was very difficult uh, many times for uh, those of us who were brothers of them. And but I think of them, and I think of uh, uh, many people that I have associated with in the military who have gone since that time. But I also think that. The dreadful part of war is the uh, the the death and destruction that uh, is part of the whole scene, and I'm so pleased when I do think of that that Canada has had the opportunity, except for these ventures in the Korean and uh, again into Afghanistan, to to participate in a military way, but in a low-profile military way in peacekeeping. And again, recently, keeping the peace. Okay. General Richard Romer, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. For nobody's just a name on a Be sure to listen to the new AM740 this Friday, November 11th, for our special Remembrance Day programming, including music and readings selected to honor veterans. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return with a special AARP Radio Network feature about Belva Davis, the first African-American news reporter in the Western U.S. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. 
In her nearly five decades as a TV reporter and news anchor, Belva Davis has won eight local Emmys and numerous broadcast awards. She also has the distinction of being the first African-American television reporter in the Western United States. She started her career in the 1960s as the face of TV news was starting to change. But as Joanne Marr reports, success did not come easily. What's next after budget talks in Sacramento break down when Governor Brown and Republicans reach a final impasse? For thousands of TV viewers in the San Francisco Bay Area, Belva Davis is a trusted, familiar face on the evening news. But she recalls when she was growing up, there were rarely black faces on TV. When I was a kid at home, we used to yell, you know, come look, come look, there's a colored man on television, come look. And the whole family would stop and we'd come to get a little glimpse of whoever that person of color was. Well, my goodness, if you did that now, you would be exhausted at the end of the day. Davis is one of the reasons American television now reflects the racial and ethnic diversity of the country. She grew up in a dirt-poor family in Louisiana in the 1930s, a place and a time in which segregation and discrimination were rampant. Things weren't much different when her family moved west. All my experience, the majority of it was working in totally segregated media. I could only work at stations that were programmed especially for black people. I could only write for newspapers that were published for a black audience. And no one else would give me even a decent interview for many years. But Belva Davis persevered. She was among the first to break the color barrier when she was hired by a San Francisco TV station in 1967. As the first woman of color in the newsroom, Davis was seen as an oddball and many of her colleagues thought she would only last two weeks on the job. At that time, Davis says, society at large wasn't ready for a black female TV reporter. She recalls encountering hostility and skepticism. I tried not to be a victim in that newsroom, even though I was. So I didn't complain to people a lot about things. Except when it got to the fact that I was working uh, doing the city hall beat, and I wasn't allowed in the press room. I couldn't even put a telephone in the press room. And when I was asked to leave news conferences because they'd say this is for reporters, no one could believe that I was a reporter (laughs) or or a couple of times in hotels being mistaken for the ironing person or the cleaning person. Those were all parts of growing in the business. Good evening. I'm Belva Davis. This is A Closer Look. Determined to prove the skeptics wrong, Davis worked long hours and eventually reported on some of the most explosive stories in the headlines. The Vietnam War protests, the al-Qaeda bombings in Africa that preceded 9-11, the assassinations of San Francisco Mayor George Moscone and gay activist Harvey Milk. Both were shot this morning and tonight. Ex-Supervisor Dan White is being held at the Hall of Justice on two counts of murder. In addition to the headline news, Davis sought out stories that would otherwise go untold. In the 70s and 80s, she was among the first in the nation to report on breast cancer, dyslexia, and the mysterious new disease that was killing gay men, AIDS. The very first live interview with someone diagnosed with AIDS was a person, a guy named Bobby Campbell. When he arrived, our technicians didn't understand the disease, so we had Bobby in, and and they refused to mic him. It was one of those real demonstrations of women power. They got together and they decided that the medical reporter would put the mic on him and the producer would go ahead and crank it up upstairs and recorded that program, and it made history of a sort. 
was rewarded greatly by the fact that some lives were saved because of those early stories. Good evening. I'm Belva Davis, and welcome to This Week in Northern California. Today, Belva Davis is still telling important stories. Now in her 70s, she remains active in journalism as the host of a weekly current affairs show on public television. Off the air, she continues to promote the hiring of minorities in the media and serves as a role model for young journalists who will tell the important stories of the future. That was Joanne Marr from the AARP Radio News Network. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. Imagine a grand slam, but in the literary world. Two Canadian authors are finalists for no fewer than four of this year's major literary honours, the Man Booker Prize, the Governor General's Literary Awards, the Scotiabank Giller Prize, and the Rogers Writers' Trust Fiction Prize. By all standards, as novelists, Essie Adugin and Patrick DeWitt are hot, and they both appeared at the International Festival of Authors at Harbourfront in Toronto. That's where reporter David Bale caught up with them. Chip told us not to go out said, don't you boys tempt the devil. But it been one brawl of a night, I tell you. That's novelist Essie Adugin reading from her novel Half-Blood Blues, the story of a black jazz musician in Nazi Germany. It completely took me by surprise that people uh, were, you know, were very interested in in reading it. It's the second novel for the 33-year-old writer whose quiet life in Victoria, B.C. has suddenly gotten not so quiet. The, The sweetest part is that People are, are reading it and seem to be enjoying it. And, you know, and you know, I walk around my hometown and people approach me and, and they want to talk about it. And I, I love to hear the feedback and I love that kind of uh, that dialogue. I was sitting outside the Commodore's mansion waiting for my brother Charlie to come out with news of the job. Patrick DeWitt reads from The Sisters Brothers, set during the Gold Rush era. For 36-year-old Vancouver-born DeWitt, he too was used to a serene West Coast life. So to go from that to going to something like this, being at the IFOA or having gone to the the Booker ceremonies, which was just completely insane and very busy. And likely to get even busier. It sets you up um, for your next book, you know, things will be handled properly and um, it just sort of um, greases the works in a, in a way. From the International Festival of Authors at Harborfront, I'm David Bale for the Zoomer Week in Review. Well, that's it for another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon right here on the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.